My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition. Doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, I'm Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to the 28th episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that I think is foundational for Christian mental health in the 21st century, joy, along with what is often its synonym, delight. In Christianity and Summa Theologica, Thomas Aquinas has noted that joy is a specific type of delight, whereas many contemporary definitions see delight and joy as synonymous and the same thing. So I'd like to draw from this understanding that the two words are similar, overlapping, maybe even at times interchangeable, doing so by exploring what both the Bible and historic Christian writers have to say about Christian delight. In addition, in the secular psychology literature, although delight seems to have been neglected, joy has recently been researched and reviewed, which I'd like to explore in this episode. Overall, my hope is that an emphasis on delight as a positive Christian psychological and spiritual experience can help us to pivot from unpleasant, difficult inner and outer experiences to delighting in God, given he is good and at the center of existence. So to get us started, I think a few questions are important to consider for 21st century Christ followers. What is joy? What is delight? What do these words mean in secular psychology, Buddhism, and Christianity? Are these two words the same as synonyms, or are they different? If different, does one lead to the other? In daily life, what do we usually delight in and take joy in? And what does it mean for Christ followers to delight in God or to take joy in God? How might our concept of God impact our ability to delight in him and take joy in him? What are the spiritual and psychological benefits of delighting and taking joy in God? What are the barriers psychologically and spiritually to delighting and taking joy in God? And then what are the consequences of not delighting and taking joy in God for 21st century Christ followers? Is it built in to our Christian faith and what happens when we don't purposely delight in God, take joy in God. So ultimately, as 21st century Christ followers, can we practice taking delight and joy in God, 
drawing upon the Bible, classic Christian spiritual writings, and ultimately a biblical worldview more narrowly and Christian worldview more broadly. So to offer a few opening quotes to get us warmed up here, I think that a few are necessary and can capture from a Christian perspective what delighting in God is, what joy in God is in the Christian life. According to Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4, quote, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. End quote. The famous 20th century theologian A.W. Tozer said, quote, Christianity is all about worshiping God, celebrating and delighting in the amazing character of God. No other religion has risen as high as Christianity in its relationship to God. Everything about Christianity is focused on God. The church has preached God, prayed God, I'm sorry, prayed to God, declared God among the nations, honored God, and elevated God in every generation. When the church is acting like the church, God is being exalted among the nations. For some reason, the church has grown bored with this. It is hard to explain why, but we have succumbed to the lowly concept of God expressed in religion. Where once we had a high and lofty perception of God, we have allowed, for some reason, the world to redefine our God for us. Instead of taking our God to the world, the world is bringing a lowercase God to us that is acceptable to them. End quote. And then to conclude, Tozer also wrote, quote, Oh God, my heart is empty because I can find nothing to adequately fill it. I need thee to fill me with all the fullness of thy perfection. Lead me, O God, in the path of righteousness that I might discover thee and the truth of thy character and nature. Amen. So what we're talking about is a big enough view of God so that we can delight in him. God is infinite and we are finite and we need to see God as such so that we can actually Learn to delight in him and to delight in his infinite goodness. So to offer a personal story before I move on to the secular psychology literature, I can still remember the day vividly. My wife and I were at the hospital in the afternoon with my wife giving birth to our first child, a healthy, beautiful baby girl. I had the uncertainty and anxiety of not knowing what was next, wanting to make sure my wife was healthy, our newborn daughter was healthy. I actually got to be the first one in this world to hold her as she was born. Although at the time I was still adjusting to a new job as a professor professor in higher education, which came with it a more enduring experience of stress, in that moment in the hospital I felt an overwhelming sense of satisfaction and gratitude. First towards God, who was, who blessed me with a new creature that was this wonderful daughter that I was meeting for the first time. Then toward my wife, who God blessed me with to share life with and produce life with. Sitting in the hospital with my child in my arms and my wife a few short feet away, God's goodness permeated what seemed to be everything. And I felt an extreme joy and pleasure that, since that time, 
has really been hard to replicate on that level. Of course, in this experience, my delight in God was because of his goodness, his infinite goodness. Nothing I could accomplish on my own. Overall, on this day, I was able to experience firsthand what many secular psychologists and theologians alike, along with countless others throughout history, have been trying to describe delight or joy. For me, as a 21st century Christ follower, delight is an enduring experience that's attributable to God's goodness, a mixture of more temporary emotions such as joy, along with an unwavering experience of who God is, a trust in who God is, putting faith in who God is, as a loving, benevolent Father. Delight is possible because of God's goodness. It's because of who God is, nothing having to do with us. Building on this story, I'd like to first review what the secular psychology literature has to say about joy, often used as a synonym for delight, then pivot toward what Christianity has to say, all with the goal of helping us as 21st century Christians to learn to practice delighting in God as a necessity in the Christian life, not only for psychological and spiritual health, but because a right relationship with God really organically necessitates it. It is baked into the cake, so to speak, It is core to who we are as Christians. As our relationship with God is deepened and matures, we can't help but delight in God because of who he is. So to get to know God means we naturally delight in him, given he is infinitely loving and good. So now as we move on to the secular psychology literature, really the secular psychology literature and and secular psychologists have taken at least some interest, historically speaking, in a synonym of delight, joy. If we think about definitions, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines delight as, quote, a high degree of gratification, pleasure, joy, or enjoyment, along with extreme satisfaction or something that gives great pleasure. As we think about joy being a synonym, or at least maybe something that comes from delight, more specific, whereas delight is more general, the American Psychological Association Dictionary of Psychology defines joy as a feeling of extreme gladness, delight, or exultation of the spirit arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. The feeling of joy may may take two forms, passive and active. Passive joy involves tranquility and a feeling of contentment with things as they are. Active joy involves a desire to share one's feelings with others. It is associated with more engagement of the environment than is passive joy. The distinction between passive and active joy may be related to the intensity of the emotion, with active joy representing the more intense form. Both forms of joy are associated with an increase in energy and feelings of confidence and self-esteem, end quote. So we see here the psychological benefits of both active and passive joy, whether focused on the self and the emotional experience or a focus on sharing it with others. Within a recent review article in the psychology literature, one author points out that joy is an emotion with a feeling component 
satisfaction, a situational perception component, and an evaluative concern component. So we have a feeling, a situation, and a concern, an evaluative concern. We're making sense of the present moment. With these three components, the author suggested that joy is a, quote, positive affective response to an objective external good construed rightly and about which one is rightly concerned. So notice here we're talking about an objective external good. For Christians, the external good is God. In other words, it's an affective feeling, an emotional response to an external good with the situation being interpreted as unowed, meaning the person is grateful within the context of the situation that, a, that joy emerges. So joy can also be either excited, an intense experience, or serene, a more stable and measured experience, as well as experienced as an individual or directed towards or shared with others. So it can be individual or shared, individual or relational. Also, joy can be both a state in the moment or trait, which is more enduring. In other words, there's an emotional state of joy and a more dispositional, trait-like, enduring experience of joy. In terms of one more ingredient, joy can be about a desire that is anticipated or has already occurred or been experienced. So we can look out into the future and look to the future for joy, or we can look backwards. In terms of the relationship between joy and mental and spiritual health, in the secular psychology literature, joy is sometimes measured, researched, and cultivated within the context of Buddhism, in a Buddhist context, with the Sanskrit word mudita capturing an unselfish joy that takes pleasure in the success and good fortune of others. The word spelled M-U-D-I-T-A. So joy, in fact, is combined with loving kindness, compassion, and equanimity as the four immeasurables in Buddhism. And these positive emotions are cultivated in loving kindness meditation, which I talk frequently about and is often written on, researched in the secular clinical psychology literature. So research has revealed that self and other directed joy combined with loving kindness, compassion, and equanimity in Buddhist-inspired psychological measures, when we measure things with these four immeasurables, is positively associated with general positive emotional experiences and negatively associated with general negative emotional experiences. So overall, joy in combination with loving kindness, compassion, and equanimity in, in a Buddhist context is connected to, is linked to positive emotions and negatively linked to, meaning that when these four emotions go up, negative emotions go down, at least according to survey research. Research has also revealed that joy directed to others, or what we might call appreciative or sympathetic joy in Buddhism, on its own is positively related to other positive emotions, life, satisfac life satisfaction, and peace of mind. In terms of interventions in the psychology literature to improve joy, secular psychologists have been researching this of late, 
And a variety of authors have advocated for the cultivation of joy alongside loving kindness, compassion, and equanimity via Buddhist practices such as loving kindness meditation. So just as a review, with loving-kindness meditation, practitioners are repeating short mantras directed towards themselves, then directed to others, such as, may I be at peace, may I be at ease, may I be happy, then to others, may others be at peace, may others be at ease, may others be happy, may others be free from suffering. With these mantras, the idea is to increase positive emotions, such as joy, not merely try to eradicate, decrease, or eliminate unpleasant ones, such as different types of psychological suffering. And to date, research has revealed that loving-kindness meditation, which, again, helps to cultivate love, kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, can improve positive and negative emotions in general. Positive thinking can decrease psychological distress, can improve human relationships, and can improve empathy, among other psychological variables. In a more recent study specifically, authors investigated a four-week, quote, heart of joy, end quote, meditation that sought to cultivate joy, with results revealing an increase in positive emotions, a decrease in negative emotions, along with higher life satisfaction and lower envy. In this program, joy was cultivated via meditation and directed towards friends, the self, strangers, and perceived enemies. So again, as an example, with loving-kindness meditation, we may say something as simple as, may I be happy, or may so-and-so be happy, whether that's a family member or a co-worker, someone we are struggling with, someone we even see as a quote-unquote enemy. So to summarize... Theoretical and empirical work or research in secular psychology has revealed that joy is a component of mental health, with joy simply defined as an emotional experience of gratification, pleasure, joy, enjoyment, or satisfaction. It's a reaction to a perceived good, which can come from inside or outside the self. It can be active and directed towards others, I'm sorry, and directed outward which includes or towards others, or passive and directed inward, which involves being content in the present moment. It can be a state or trait, meaning it can be more temporary or more permanent, and it can be based on an anticipated good or a good that we look back to in the past. So to be as succinct as possible, we might say that joy is delighting in the good, broadly defined. Empirical research does suggest that joy is beneficial for mental health and can be cultivated via meditative practice. Yet, for 21st century Christ followers, we have our own delight, and the good is God. Therefore, what does it mean to delight in God, the ultimate good, not ourselves? As we turn to Christianity, we see that delight and joy are often used interchangeably. And they are key for psychological and spiritual health and a mature Christian life as we move from being justified, being made right with God based on our union with Christ, to being sanctified or becoming holy and more like Christ, to being glorified or face-to-face with God in heaven where there will be no more suffering. 
In fact, in our relationship with God, delight is something we simply cannot live without from my perspective, especially if God is who he says he is, infinitely loving, wise, powerful, present, and holy, extending his providential care to all of creation, even us as fallen, wayward human beings. As a benevolent father, therefore, we can delight in him, that is, find a deep satisfaction in in the goodness of God. So to offer a more precise definition of delight, according to the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, it is, quote, to bend towards, to be inclined towards an object or person, or to take pleasure in, or a high degree of pleasure or satisfaction of mind, or a more permanent pleasure than joy and not dependent on sudden excitement. So there's something more enduring, more permanent, more stable about delight in contrast with joy. Joy can come from delight, possibly, as Thomas Aquinas said, but from a Christian perspective, I think our aim is delight, which is more stable than joy, which is more sudden just emotional. Now, a definition of joy, according to the Holman Bible Dictionary, is, quote, a state of delight and well-being that results from knowing and serving God. Joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. It is not something people can create by their own efforts. God himself knows joy, and he wants his people to know joy. Psalm 104.31 speaks of God himself rejoicing in his creative works. Isaiah 65.18 speaks of God rejoicing over his redeemed people who will be to him a joy. Joy is a fruit of a spirit-led life from Galatians 5.22. When a person walks with the Lord, he can continue to rejoice even when troubles come. Jesus spoke of those who could rejoice even when persecuted and killed, referencing Matthew 5.12. So what we're talking about here is some people say that delight is more enduring than joy and others, like the Holman Bible Dictionary, suggest that they are synonymous. Remember that the fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions include love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. So joy is the second of the nine fruit that are listed famously in the New Testament. So again, some Christian writers suggest that delight is more general and joy flows from delight. Others suggest that delight is a more stable, enduring satisfaction in the goodness of God in contrast with joy, which is more of a brief emotional state. In either case, though, I think we can recognize that joy and delight, delight and joy, both involve an experience of satisfaction with God as the external good. We might say an external good who becomes an internalized or internal good as we are a dwelling place for God's goodness and love, a dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit. But what are the specific ingredients of Christian delight and why is it needed in the Christian life? Turning now to the Puritan John Howe in his A Treaty on, of de- Delighting in God, there are several ingredients of Christian delight. So one, through union with Christ, communing with God as a friend, not an enemy, and fully devoting the self to God is key. 
Also, recognizing that God and his perfect will is the, quote, chief and best good, the, quote, highest and most perfect excellency, and the, quote, most satisfying object of delight. So as we think about, even in secular psychology, the external good for Christians, the external good is God, who is the chief and best good, the highest and most perfect excellency, and the most satisfying object of goodness. So God is sufficient as Christians' ultimate object of delight, and everything good flows from that. God readily offers himself as Christian's object of delight, in fact. So God is at the center. We are on the periphery. God is the creator. We are the created. God is infinite. We are finite. And we can delight in him as the ultimate good. Also, regularly turning from the self to God or self-denial is key in this process. We cannot delight in ourselves from a Christian perspective, ultimately. This will be unsatisfactory. It will not produce a deep satisfaction. Instead, to really experience the full pleasure and goodness of delight, we have to look to God as an external source. As one more example... Delighting in God is about trusting in God, leading to a more profound freedom from self-preoccupations and worldly concerns. Delighting in God is also about surrendering to God as Lord, given He is the ultimate good and we are not, and fully relying on God's love, God's goodness, God's love that flows from who God is. And then finally, really another ingredient, delighting in God is about conversing with God moment by moment. We might call this fellowship with God, fellowshipping with God or walking with God or communing with God. And we can do so because of our union with Christ. Because of what Christ, what is Christ, what Christ has done for us, we now are no longer enemies with God. We are friends with God and we can trust in and delight in God. According to the 20th century pastor and writer A.W. Tozer, delight involves passionately pursuing an experience, not merely abstract knowledge of God. He says, quote, whenever you find a man of God, you will also find an overwhelming passion for God that is almost beyond control. Not a curiosity about God, but a deep passion to experience God in all of his fullness. To know God is the one passion that drives a man into the very heart of God. End quote. Tozer also notes that there are three levels of Christian delight. To begin, we have the intellectual level, which is really reliant on evidence for God. So, what we might call in Christianity and Protestant Christianity, general revelation, that God reveals himself to us through his creation, through his intricate designs within creation. And we can delight in that. We can delight in seeing the inner workings of a cell. We can delight in going to the zoo and seeing God's beautiful animals that he's created or going to uh, the beach and seeing the ocean. We can delight in that. Then there's a theological level, which really involves the doctrine of God revealed in Scripture. And so we can delight in God's Word and who God is revealed in Scripture. But this should not be the end. It should instead point Christians to a deeper relationship with and experience of God. 
Then the third level, the mystical level, according to Tozer, is really the experiential or relational level. And although the word mystical is sometimes frowned upon in Protestant circles or uh, raises the anxiety level of, of Protestants, really what we're talking about here is the relational level, to know God, to walk with God, to, to have a deeper desire to, to, to have a deeper intimacy with God. So uh, Tozer says it's the, quote, experience of the presence of God, end quote, or again, the intimacy with God. So we're moving from a more intellectual to a theological, given that we can know God in Scripture, and then at least abstractly, and then we experience God through spending time with Him and fellowshipping Him with Him and praying and meditating on meditating on His Word, His attributes, His actions, to really know God experientially, not just abstractly, not just cognitively, but a deeper cognitive, affective, emotional, heartfelt knowing of God, delighting in God. And throughout the Bible, we read about Christian delight. So in Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. In Psalm 37.4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 119.77, let your compassion come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Yet for Christians, at times, we might have barriers to delight. What might those be? What might get in the way of us naturally delighting in God and God's goodness as the ultimate good? So I want to give a few examples, drawing upon the insights, biblical and spiritual insights from the Puritan John Howe, as well as the contemporary Protestant A.W. Tozer. So what might get in the way? I think, in, uh, according to Tozer, an inaccurate perception of God. Tozer says it all boils down to what a man believes about God. His perception of God becomes the foundation upon which he builds his whole life. And out of that flows the spirit of worship, and out of his worship flow service and ministry. End quote. As revealed in Scripture, God is infinitely loving and good and wise and powerful and present. So how might we be more fully able to delight in God if we truly believed in these attributes? God is infinitely loving and good and wise and powerful and present, and I would add holy. We also have barriers that include solely relying on the intellectual or theological levels consistent with Tozer's three, three levels without pursuing the relational level, the experiential level. What does it mean to experience God's goodness? What does it mean to rest in God's love? What does it mean to trust in God's goodness and love? And then also another barrier might be the false promises of earthly delights. The shiny objects, the idols, the temporary sources of pleasure, whether that's food, drugs, alcohol, sex, that we can overly rely on, given we're embodied, given we have a a, a human body that interacts in a fallen world, but to see those as somehow greater, falsely see those as greater than the ultimate good, which is God. So ultimately, every other delight will not satisfy. The, The deepest, most enduring satisfaction, pleasure can come from seeing God as the external good. 
in terms of classic Christian spiritual writings, returning the insights of John Howe, the Puritan writer writing in the 1600s, and A.W. Tozer writing in the 1900s. There are a range of strategies and practices for cultivating a delight in God. First, according to Howe and Tozer, we can develop and maintain an accurate concept of God, including his attributes and actions revealed in Scripture. So God is infinitely loving and good and wise and powerful and present. And as we think about who God is in the form of actions, we think of the grand narrative of Scripture. Creation, God created us, created us in his image. He chose to create versus not create. Then we turned away from God, but he offered a redemptive plan and God will eventually restore all things and we will be face to face with him in heaven. We can delight in God's actions, past, present, and then looking out with hope and faith into the future. So there's an anticipation of future delight. So we want to endeavor Quote, endeavor that the knowledge and conception you have of God may be more distinct and clear, according to John Howe. We also want to be spiritually minded, not earthly minded, and have this perspective as Christians. So not just to look at earthly delights that will ultimately fail to satisfy what some authors in the 21st century have called the hedonic treadmill that we just need more and more and more and more, and it never satisfies, especially in our consumer-driven, materialistic, individualistic 21st century society that has no shortage of options and opportunities to pursue pleasure. These will ultimately not satisfy for Christ followers and that we need to delight in God, ultimately not earthly things. We also can meditate on passages in Scripture, which we'll do in a minute here, that capture God's infinite love and goodness and wisdom and power and presence. Formally, during formal periods of time, as well as informally throughout the day. So John Howe offers this guidance. And then finally, to maintain an attitude of worshipfulness throughout the day, from my perspective, not just on Sunday mornings. So through thanking God, singing to God, praying to God, talking to God, delighting in, taking pleasure in who God is, who he has revealed himself to be in his creation, being in awe of a sunset, being appreciative of God's special revelation that God has revealed to himself to us through his Bible, through, through his word, the Bible, so that we don't just look to general revelation, but we have a personal God who has shared who he is with us, at least in part. And we can meditate on that and find delight and joy in that. A deeper satisfaction because God is the external good. We know that God is good, not just by looking to creation, but because of special revelation and ultimately because of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is good Ultimately, we can see that in his work on the cross, that he took on human form, did not have to. He emptied himself and became a servant and died on a cross to reconcile us to him. That is worth delighting in. So to summarize, in secular psychology and Christianity, I think there are a variety of psychological and spiritual benefits of delight, 
joy, delight being synonyms. These are overlapping concepts. And really what we're talking about is a satisfaction in the goodness of God. A total reliance on the goodness of God to ultimately find satisfaction in him. Research in secular psychology does reveal that joy, often defined and practiced within a Buddhist-inspired framework, is related to mental health, can be cultivated, and can be directed toward both the self and others, a sort of sympathetic appreciation. For Christians, however, as C.S. Lewis powerfully declared, quote, there is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him and bad when it turns from him. We ultimately need to delight in God because he is the source of goodness. He created all that's good. So can we learn to delight in the goodness of God, finding pleasure, satisfaction, joy, and gratitude all rolled into one by turning to him? In appreciative joy, not ourselves, with our self-focused nature promising a lot, but never ultimately delivering the pleasure and peace we are looking for. So to conclude this episode, let's engage in a short practice by delighting in God as a response to both the outer challenges and adversities of life that we cannot change and the inner struggles, such as difficult thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories, and images at times that we also cannot change. So in other words, we will be learning to take pleasure in the goodness of God pivoting from our own inner and outer distractions, pivoting from our own false sense that anything of this world will fully satisfy, and instead we're letting go of really our idols and pivoting towards God as the ultimate perfect source of good, perfect source of love. So to do so, we will be engaging in a short contemplative practice inspired by and meditating on a short passage in Psalm 37. Quote, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. End quote. So to begin, find a quiet location, free from distractions, sitting up straight in a supportive chair. Close your eyes and place your hand on your lap with your palms, hands on your lap with your palms facing outward and upward as a symbol of your willingness to shift all of your attention to God and his infinite goodness right here and now. Now, simply introduce in love, appreciation, and gentleness the biblical phrase, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Slowly, gently, in appreciation, trustingly, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again and again, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. And whatever arises in the inner world, whether a pleasant or unpleasant experience, or outer world, whether a sound or smell or other experience with the senses, just notice it before gently and with gratitude returning to the phrase, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again and again, slowly, softly, interiorly, lovingly, and with gratitude. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Resting and delighting in God's infinite goodness, which is extended to you in this very moment. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because God is infinitely good, revealing his love to you right now, there's nothing else to do and nowhere else to be. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sink deeper and deeper into this passage. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Anchoring yourself to God's infinite goodness in the present moment, right here and right now, as you take delight and joy in him. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And as you continue on, you may want to let all the words drop off other than just delight. Just resting in this delight as we take joy and delight in the Lord who is at the center of our experience, center of our existence, who is infinitely good and there's no greater good so we can ultimately keep our focus on him, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight. Resting in God's goodness. Delight. A deeper satisfaction. Nothing else will satisfy other than God's goodness. God is at the center and we can delight in him. Delight. And as this episode comes to a close, my hope is that you're able to begin to recognize the psychological and spiritual benefits of delighting and finding joy in the goodness of God as well as practicing delighting in God's goodness in daily life, which can be extended to each and every interaction we have in God's beautiful creation. We are looking for, in general revelation, God's goodness in his creation, and in special revelation, what God has revealed to us in his character, his attributes, and his actions, and ultimately his narrative. The grand narrative, creation, then fall, moving into redemption and restoration. We can delight in God's story to us, that God didn't leave us on our own to figure it out just by looking to creation, but gave us his word, the Bible, to delight in, to know him, 
so we can delight in God's goodness revealed in his creation, walking along the roads of life, looking up and thanking him and delighting in him. And we can know him through Bible study, through reading, through meditation, through prayer, and ultimately through contemplating God's goodness in simplicity with the word delight. Please join me again for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.